With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. You're listening to the Bleacher Connection, a part of the Belly Up Sports Network. Here are your hosts, Ken and Trevor. And welcome to the show, everyone. A lot of stuff is going on. NFL, we're into week two. We're going to talk a little week one, but maybe not what you're thinking. Trevor, how's the week been going for you? Well, Ken, you and I got to actually hang out a little bit this week. I managed to come to your city. I didn't call it a beautiful city. I came to your city for <laughs> a couple of days for work, and we got a chance to hang out a little, you know, shoot the shit about sports. I kicked your ass at a board game. and Well, it, well hold on. All, to be fair, fun. to be fair, that game, <clears throat> I, I did really well for it being you did. the first time that uh played it not learning it it's only my second time you've played it about a half dozen times and uh it's a game it's called Ark Nova it's a game where you could either potentially win the game or lose the game with negative points so the fact that it was you know 41 to what was it 28 24 yeah, yeah I, th- I think I did pretty well there was a wasn't there's was still some learning curve in there but uh it was a good game, and I thought I did. I thought I did pretty well with the strategy in that. You did. I actually, I got to give you a lot of credit for someone who hasn't played it that often. You you did well. I was. It was nice just to hang out with you and your wife for a couple of evenings, and then I uh, had to venture back to Calgary for uh, the big football game last night. It was a uh, real doozy. We'll, it, it, it we'll was get into that one a little bit more. And are you kidding me? Uh, the for anybody who did watch the game, they probably know why we're going to talk about it. And are you kidding me? But it was it was an exciting football game. Uh, literally came down to the final play. Uh, the BC Lions won in overtime, 31-29. Stampeders missed a chance to win the game on a last-second field goal. Renny Paredes missed from 48 yards, which is not common. It was. Uh, but- we were actually very shocked in the stands, I'm not going to lie. We were, that is the second time this season, right? That that's happened. Yeah, yeah. We were pretty much celebrating a victory because Rennie's probably the best kicker in CFL history, and we were, uh, yeah, we were shocked. Not gonna lie, it was. Well, if it wasn't for Terry history. Williams, Terry Williams' speed, you had a chance to get. He didn't get it that far out of the end zone, and if you could have no, tackled him no. in, you could have had the one point win. But uh, luckily, Terry Williams has a is known for his speed. Yep. But all in all, it was. Uh, I was in the stands at the game. It was very exciting. Uh, the crowd was a little smaller than we had hoped for. I think it was twenty three thousand. You'd like to see probably another three to five thousand for a big game like that. But the crowd was rocking at the end of the game. It was a lot of fun. The, the Stampeders were down late. They scored a last minute touchdown, pretty much to tie the game, forced a two and out, got the ball back, chance to win, didn't do it. But it was. For the amount of people that were there, it was a rocking crowd. It was a good atmosphere. There were lots of controversy. We're going to get to that. Well, <laughs> yeah. And next week, should we're, they're playing again next week in BC. And 
there were some fireworks at the end of the game that uh, on the field and in the parking lot that uh, could carry over depending on how potentially the league looks at it and what was versus over what was said that was done. So we shall let's, see. Let's, let's talk about that. The the fireworks. There's we're getting kind of secondhand information from different bits and pieces on Twitter where. The general gist of what it sounds like is throughout the entire game, Lucky Whitehead was beacon at Cameron Judge the whole game, showboating, you know, bringing up the guy's family, hitting close to home. And uh, at the end of the game, apparently, as both teams were walking off, and actually I was there, I saw a bit of a skirmish, didn't see what happened. Lucky Whitehead apparently went and started showboating right in Cameron Judge's face, and Cameron Judge punched him in the face it. And a little bit of a melee ensued. And then it, you know, they got off the field. And then apparently later on, after all the teams had undressed and the Lions were getting ready to get on the team bus, a bunch of the BC Lions went over to the Calgary Stampeders dressing room outside in the parking lot and started yelling at them. And there was a little bit of uh, nothing really came of it. There was some city, Calgary city police there that had to break them up. But there was apparently some pretty good yelling going back and forth. And you know, the, the emotion, I appreciate the emotion for both teams. Both teams are in the wrong here. You know, Cameron Judge, you can't punch somebody in the face. Lucky Whitehead, you can't go crying like a, a baby on Twitter about getting punched in the face. You know, the BC Lions, you can't go to the opponent's dressing room after the game and yeah. start yelling at them. You know, the the, the Stampeders, you, you, you just can't do it. You, you can't throw that punch. You can't. That can't and- happen. And the thing too is like we obviously you were in the stands. I'm watching on TV. We're not. You don't hear what's on the field during the game. So it's football. Mm-hmm. John back and forth is always been part of the game. I don't, we don't know exactly what was said. If if Judge had said something first, or you know, in a yeah, game exactly. before that got lucky, pissed off, and put him in a mood, and maybe he did say something, maybe he didn't, because you know, everyone's gonna find a way to justify their actions sometimes. Yeah. Um, so it will be interesting to see what happens. Um, you talked about, you know, going on Twitter and uh, complaining about a punch or whatever, but we also saw another former player in the CFL going <laughs> on Twitter this weekend and complaining about uh, his former Not team. having a job. <laughs> yeah, uh, playing soft and this is what you get. Uh, Garrett Marino went on Twitter and was complaining about uh, – you know, his former team, the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, being soft in their in their loss to the Elks this weekend. But it uh I thought that was pretty funny. He also deleted that tweet. So he yeah, very uh, quickly didn't quite stand behind his words there. Maybe he realized, oh, maybe I won't get another job. Yeah. But it, it kind of a, a bit of a black eye for the league. It, you know, I can appreciate both teams. Emotions are high, they're battling each other in the stands. They've played twice this year. It's been a grand total of three points difference in both games. You know, the, the Lions are two and all the Stamps are 0 and two. Lost by three points. It was there was a lot of frustrations in last night's game because of the officiating as well. I think that definitely played into it as well. And again, we are going to talk about that here shortly. Yeah, but it's getting to be playoff time. These two teams are most likely going to play each other in the playoffs. There's a very high likelihood. That, you know, they play again next week. They're going to be playing again in about a month down the road in the West semifinal, most likely as well. So this is uh, 
Bad Blood's good. Like they're, they're, this has kind of been a, a bit of a soft rivalry for the last couple of years. Um, like a lot of that has to do with the BC Lions haven't been very good the last few years. This year they are. Yeah. And it's nice to get that little bit of hatred back, but you can't punch someone in the face. <laughs> like, no. That, that's going a little overboard. No, but no, I, you, I love you can't the, the Marino the situation. Yeah, <laughs> exactly, exactly. So, no, and really looking forward to next week's game. Hopefully, you know, Cameron Judge doesn't get suspended. Hopefully, Lucky Whitehead doesn't get suspended and – Hopefully they're both in the lineup. What I find funny about it is you got Lucky Whitehead, you know, showboating in front of camera judge. It's like, well, hang on a second. You didn't do anything all game. Like Lucky Whitehead was invisible last night. Yeah, it's uh maybe that's why he got so pissed off. It's like, who's this idiot that's in my face? Did he do anything all game? Yeah. Well, he he wasn't one of uh BA's targets in there, but I think Lucky's ability to to break a game open whether he makes a catch or not, or as a target, he's usually drawing, you know, one and a half to two guys covering him because his speed can break a game open real quick. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Away, so, yeah. But let's jump into, oh, are you kidding me, Trev? Yeah, um, go ahead. Sorry. Sorry. Are you kidding me? It's brought to you by Manscaped. Go to manscaped.com. Use the code belly fantasy for 20% off. So Trevor, we got a few things to cover off. We've already talked about, we're going to, we're going to go to the CFL and, Discuss a little more about some are you kidding me moments in that uh, Lions Stamps game, but uh, the NFL's back and we actually have a couple topics here that uh, we're going to cover off now. Obviously, Week Two is uh, kicked off on Thursday night, um, recording on Sunday, so there's a slew of games going on, about ready to get going. But my are you kidding me for this week isn't necessarily the games. Sorry, it's. What makes the NFL the NFL? The NFL is back, which means you've got Dallas Cowboy fans fighting Dallas Cowboy fans in the stand. You got Pittsburgh Steeler fans fighting whoever they can in the fan in the stands. Male got, or female. Yeah. I don't get how this league can have it's supposed to be the celebrated league and everyone loves it, yet you have fans fighting fans. And the treatment of some of the players is like, are you kidding me? So let's let's get into it. We already talked about Dallas. Let's start in Dallas. You had multiple fights in that game in the stands that kind of came out on social media that were going on. And these weren't like little pushing and shoving. These were full-on melees of just haymakers being thrown at anyone, at everyone. Didn't matter what colors they were wearing. Another moment in that game that just said, are you kidding me? Dak Prescott, who spent a good majority of last season hurt, uh, came back and he ended up getting hurt in week one, right? I think he he hit his throwing hand off someone's helmet or something like that. Going to require surgery. He's going to be out a while. But as he's leaving the field, and I'm going to say this, in Dallas, the Dallas Cowboy fans are throwing garbage at him. Throwing garbage at him as he's going off the field. Are you are you kidding me? Like the guy didn't go out on the field to get injured on purpose. And this is what you do to your number one quarterback, your starting quarterback. Come on. I I'd say be better, but I don't think Dallas fans ever will. Um well they're throwing trash at him at this game, and then when he comes back in five weeks and throws for four hundred yards and four touchdowns. 
they're going to be back on Twitter. He's the best. And, and that's a fickle fan base. It's a huge oh, yeah. fan base. And w- what do you expect? They they have no offensive weapons anymore. They got, well, they got CeeDee Lamb and um, Ezekiel Elliott. And I would say Ezekiel Elliott is a far cry from what he used to be. Like, they have really, no receivers. Elliot was what uh, a real threat for a season and a half. Like he hasn't been that running back since he had that big season. So they have no was... offensive threat. So how? What do you like? What's Dak supposed to do? Like yeah. I don't think I'm Dak all... Prescott is as great of a quarterback as he's been made out to be. It's, it's because he's in Dallas, he gets the the shine. Sounds very much like a lot of Toronto Maple Leafs players. Yeah, but it's like well, when you have no playmakers. How are you supposed to make plays? Like, this, yeah, Amari oh, Cooper was him. traded away. Yeah, yeah, like this isn't all on him. So, it's really yeah. disappointing that after week one and the guy gets hurt and you're throwing garbage at him. Like, don't yeah. like it. There was fight more fights in Miami. There was also another incident in Miami where well, yeah, a it, fight between a barbecue and some cars. <laughs> <laughs> barbecue wow. one, yeah. Tailgating goes wrong where someone left their grill on and. uh Probably took out at least half a dozen cars with fans come up to, you know, there's a massive fire going on in the parking lot. And, you know, you come out after sitting at, in a stadium for a few hours and your car is reduced to a bunch of me- melted metal. Uh, insane. Last one I want to kind of talk about Russell Wilson in week one, Monday nighter made his, I don't want to say long awaited return to Seattle because it was his first game as a Bronco and it was in Seattle and he got booed coming out onto the field. The the fans did not necessarily show him the love. And I was watching some of that game. I watched the Manning cast for the first time. And I got to say, it was a pretty interesting watch. Uh, I think Peyton and Eli are pretty pretty funny together. And they got, a, obviously, they're brothers. So they have a good repertoire with each other and bouncing things back and forth. But they had Joel McHale on during the game and... He's a Seahawks fan, so he was giving it to Peyton a little bit, obviously, because he played for the Broncos, and it was uh, when the Broncos lost to the Seahawks in the in the Super Bowl. So what I thought was funny is Joel McHale asked Peyton if he got that kind of reception when he went back to Indy as a Bronco, and Eli quickly chimed in with, well, a different situation. He was cut. He wasn't traded. And you can see Peyton was maybe a little bit like, yeah, yeah. Thanks, E, for 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 remembering that so vividly, because it was a different situation. Russell was traded, and it sounded like he may have forced it, forced it, helped facilitate that. Um, the Seahawks maybe didn't want to pay him the fifty million a season that the Broncos did with uh, when they extended him. So Russell is it's a different situation. Russell won him a Super Bowl. He was a he was a face of that franchise for 10 years and he got booed coming out. And is that the reception you thought he would get? hundred percent. Yeah. He facilitated his way out of the city. Like you're, you're telling the fan base, I don't want to be here anymore. I, I, I just don't want to be here anymore. It's very similar to the Matthew Kachuk situation in Calgary this summer where with the Calgary flames is like the fans are pissed because you just pretty much said, I don't want to be here anymore. Get me out of here. How do you expect them to to react? Yeah, you're right. Our team sucks. Get out of your dad. Yeah, you know, there's there's always going to you have to have respect for him. He won a Super Bowl for that franchise. They deserve that respect. But he's also not been very good for about you know three years now. And then pretty much saying, "Get me out of here." I totally get the Seahawks fans being upset. 
Yeah. And he probably got the reception that he deserved. Well, and I think the Seahawks are better off not having paid him $50 million. Yeah. Um, I, like Russell Wilson is not as good as he was five years ago. I think that's putting it politely. I don't think Denver's going to be any better with Russell Wilson at quarterback either. Like, I don't know. I've never been the hugest Russell Wilson fan in the first place. So maybe I'm the wrong guy to be talking about this, but he, he got the, the, the reaction that he probably should have. And he'll get that reaction the next time he goes to Seattle too. It's, you know, again, the animosity makes it exciting. Like it's, it, it there's emotion there and it's gonna it starts in the crowd now and it just makes the game more exciting so well it also sounds like a lot of his former teammates didn't like him like when you go back to the legion of uh doom or boom whatever they're called uh the defensive guys when you had richard sherman there kj wright um bobby wagner not a lot of them had a lot of good were really like saying that seattle was wrong for booing him and it kind of i think it was kj wright said there was a lot of times where if he had a shitty game, Pete Carroll would put it on the defense to be better. Despite Russell going, you know, we'll just make up numbers 10 for 33 and, and 102 yards, four picks. Defense had to be better. It sounded like he had to be coddled and wouldn't take the blame. So it doesn't sound like he may have been well liked in the room either. Yeah, we'll see what the next two years brings for the Seahawks. Could be uh, – it's a changing of the guard for sure. Yeah. But like I just said, I, I think they're better off without Russell Wilson moving forward. Um, I want to move on to my first Are You Kidding Me? And speaking of teams that would probably be better off without somebody in their lineup, that would be the Cleveland Browns and Deshaun Watson. And – there's a picture that's emerged on Twitter this morning of some tailgating in Cleveland where a bunch of fans are, are, are mocking the situation. They've got a mannequin doll with what appears to be a large bulge in the uh, crotch area with a Deshaun Watson jersey sitting on a mannequin lying on a table, pretty much saying happy endings are not illegal. Wow. This is more than are you kidding me? This is disgusting. This yeah. is these people are adults. This is not appropriate. This is gross. There's kids there. There's kids that are walking by this and and seeing this. And now the impression they get is, oh, Deshaun Watson, he he got this isn't good for Deshaun Watson. They're getting the wrong perspective here. It's this is gross. What's worse is in the photo, there's a whole bunch of females standing right behind it that you can see laughing. You're spitting in the face of what was it, 26, 27 potential yeah. victims. You're laughing in their face. Be better, Cleveland. This is way worse than are you kidding me? This is effing disgusting. Yeah. Oh, I, I saw this. I sent it to you, and I was just like, this is gross. This is the NFL in the worst way. Like, the NFL is a great league. This is one of the most grotesque things I've ever seen from a fan base. I would rather people get in fights in the stands than do this type of gross stuff because this is the kids are seeing this. The victims are seeing this. There's women laughing in the back. This isn't appropriate. Terrible, Cleveland. Terrible. 
yeah, it, um, am I surprised? No. Am I shocked? Yeah. But at the same time, whenever it comes to sports and things like that, people will always wholeheartedly defend their player who is hasn't suited up a game for them yet, regardless of what they do and whether it's right or wrong. And, and they'll turn a blind eye to it. If, the Cleveland Browns didn't have Deshaun um, Watson and he was somewhere else. They'd all be up in arms. They would have been calling for him to get a two-year suspension, but he's on their team, so they defend him. And it's just gross. Like, it's a slap in the face to any sexual assault survivor out there. Not even just the victims of this. It's to all of them. And I'd say be better, but people won't. And No, they, never they will. won't. And hopefully this is a one and only. We don't see this kind of crap again. This not good enough. And I got to move on. And speaking of other things that are not good enough, that's going to lead me right into you. My my next. Are you kidding me for this week? And Ken, your team, I think, got a bit of the, the benefit from this last night at the St. Peter's Lions game. And that was the, the, the CFL officiating. And I'm not just going to focus on last night's game, even though I I texted you after the third quarter pretty much saying this is probably the worst display of officiating I've ever watched live at a game. I've never seen so many flags thrown in a game. There, there ended up being 21 penalties last night in the game, and that's just the accepted penalties. So that's a, a, a penalty, a, a flag on almost every three plays. Many, many of the calls were very suspect, and there was one that was a complete game changer. And there was, made, there was just blow like there was nothing on a few of them, nothing, and they nothing, and you couldn't challenge it. And there was a uh, a pass interference call in the end zone that ended up leading to a BC Lions touchdown. That was a complete phantom call. It was two guys fighting for the ball, and that led to a touchdown that's points that cannot come off the board that was four more points on that drive that bc got than they should have that's a game changer in a game that went to overtime it really is there was an offensive pass interference penalty last night on uh dominic rhymes on yeah on rhymes that was a phantom call at best there was and that, that was a return there was a flag for blocking in the back and then What's worse is there was a couple that happened right in front of us that weren't called that had a, an impact on the play. In general, the Canadian Football League has a problem with officiating. I am not a fan that goes out and blames officials for losses. Every team gets the same officials. I'm a fan, though, that's going to complain about the refereeing being a focal point in the game. Last night, that was one of the biggest games on the CFL schedule all season. And the referees blew it by throwing. There was probably 30 flags thrown in that game in total. Once you take out the decline penalties, it was as a fan, it was God awful to watch. The booing was pouring down from the stands. It seemed like every five plays because they wouldn't let them play. Like let the bloody players decide it themselves. Don't call it ticky tack pass interference penalty in the end zone because in the Canadian Football League that puts it on the one 
the week before when the Stampeders were playing the Elks, we were the beneficiaries of a couple of those weak calls. And it's like, it's game changing. When yeah. you throw an offensive pass interference in the end zone, that is a game changing call because it guarantees the other team a touchdown. It really does. So I was listening to the, the drive home show on the Calgary Stampeders game last night as I was going home and one caller called in and had a brilliant idea and there should be the ability to pretty much only, only do flags count if it has a direct result on the and a direct impact on the play. There was calls last night where there was illegal contact on a guy on the other side of the field that had nothing to do with the play. Who cares? They got to come up with a, a way to make it, unless it has a direct impact on the play, pick up the flag. It's ruining the game. I thought it was a brilliant idea. If it's if somebody bumps somebody on the other side of the field, who cares? On a kick return, if somebody holds somebody on the complete other side of the field, who cares? Unless it has a direct result on the play, well, let it go. I, I will say that has some merit. I don't – the one part – like – on a kick return, yeah, like if if it's well on the far side of the field and has nothing to do with it, like the one that got called in the Grey Cup we were at, it was nowhere near the actual play, but it cost Hamilton a, a touchdown return and it cost him the Grey Cup. I I agree with that one. That part I there, don't but, recall that at all. Uh yeah, yeah. I think uh, I think you do. <laughs> I I will say that though on a pass play. If you're a quarterback doing your reads and watching the field and you see a guy who isn't in position because he got bumped, I think that should still be called because you're taking away an option from the quarterback, from the offense, in ma- to making a play. Potentially. potentially. Right? Like that, I can, that, that would I have a little better. more leeway for. If, you, if, a, if a running back is making a run on the right side of the field and you got holding – on a like a, a wide wide out holding a DB on the left side of the field, let it go. Who can like that's not affecting and that's the play. It, they need to start right? using the discretion more of this has no bearing on the play. Like, like who cares if the guy on the wide side of the field is doing something? Who cares? I think I think when it comes to the pass play though, you gotta call it because that takes away a read. Because you what you could do is well, the quarterback was looking down the center of the field when I when I bumped that guy, right? Like that's where you could get into a even worse area than the league right now is in with the refing. Last night's game was a triple threat match, right? It was BC versus Calgary versus the refs. And it, neither team had, it was just both teams were at a disadvantage. You, you talked about how the, the phantom PI call in the end zone put four more points on the board for the Lions. I'd argue that that OPI on Rhymes took points off the board for the Lions because they went into Cal. If Potentially. He, caught, he caught that in ca- deeper in Calgary territory than they were. It was second down. It was a, then became a first down and they could have at least got into field goal position from where they were if they didn't move the ball and got three points at that. So the refing was atrocious all around. Like it was just a joke. And you had the coaches challenging plays. They probably shouldn't challenge. I mean, I could get Dickinson challenging the the two point conversion in OT because yeah, that, you have to you got to that. it's there yeah there was nothing there but yeah like there was nothing on any of that play but you got to do it because you need to try and find something to get another shot 
but yeah, it, it was just horrendous. And even, you know, we, we watched the game Friday night with suits and Dustin, I can't remember what his name is calling the game. And, you know, Glenn Suter was talking about how, how poor it was. Like he said, you know, the players have off nights, we have off nights, and this is definitely a night that the refs have had an off night. And he was being very kind in saying that they were absolute dog shit. And because there's really no other way to put it. And this was a game that ha- has huge implications that we haven't touched on is that it was game two of three between these two teams. BC won the first one. And if they they won last night, so they took the season series. But if Calgary had won, you go into next week with the winner taking the season series as a tiebreaker if the off chance that they finish tied for second, but it'll be Calgary playing Winnipeg in the semifinal after we go in and beat you guys next week and then beat the Bombers in two games. But it, it's just one of those things that this is this game had a lot of implications towards the playoffs as well. This was, and, like I said, this was one of the biggest games of the season on the CFL schedule, and the refs blew it. And it's it's been calm, and it's, that's been a common theme this year. Though the refereeing, just in general, has they're too flag happy. They really yeah. are too flag happy. I would rather something not get called. They said it on the broadcast last night, or actually on the radio shows I was driving. They go, "What's more exciting, a guy busting a fifty-yard kick return or the referee?" Calling it back for a 10 yard ticky tack block in the back call. Like, yeah, who cares? Let the 50 yard return stand. That's more exciting. That's going to draw fans into the stands, not a guy running for 50 yards and that holding on the return. That's yeah, not exciting. It, well, I, as bad as it is, like we were talking about it and we've complained about it before, but it's like I said to you, it's like complaining about cold temperatures in winter. You know what season it is. You know what you're going to get. Yeah. That's and that's unfortunate. What unfortunately what the CFL is because this isn't a this year problem. It isn't a last year problem. This is a problem that has gone on for well over a decade of the CFL having shitty referees. And guess what? They've all been the same. Yeah, it's the same guys and and now women every game, and, and they all fail at their job. Yeah, disappointing. Got to be better, CFL. You're the CFL is willing to take drastic measures in rule changes. Maybe it's time that they look at some drastic measures and rule changes in in regards to referee penalties. Maybe that's the solution. Try it for a season. Surely to God, it can't be any worse than it is now. Yeah, yeah, and and, and God forbid you openly criticize a referee because I'll just get you fined. So that's our. Are you kidding me for this week? Let us know what you think. Trevor's at the BleacherCon one on Twitter. I'm at the BleacherCon two. You know, are you an NFL fan who would support a Russell Wilson or boo a Russell Wilson? You know, Dak Prescott should he have gotten stuff thrown at him? The Browns, yeah, like just get rid of the. Don't reach out if you're a Browns fan. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, just leave it. Um, We're gonna move on. We're gonna talk some NHL. Not what we normally in the sense that we do, but there was a, a couple things that happened this week around uh, C's being handed out and put on players' jerseys and taken off. Um, so Trevor, let's C's captaincy. Captaincies, yes. So let's, uh, let's start in Montreal where they named a new captain. They didn't go the route that a lot of teams have been, been going where 
Shea Weber was the captain. He's now on paper a uh, Las Vegas Golden Knight. Um, they put the C on Nick Suzuki. And to me, yeah, well, (laughs) he's an up and coming player who on Montreal as a star, because they really haven't been that even they they went to the, yes, they went to the finals and they lost, but let's be fair. That season was bullshit. They put it on a 23 year old kid who spent three seasons in the uh, NHL. I was shocked when they did that i i went is this some kind of joke uh what were your thoughts on that trevor i was also shocked it um he's a young kid he's he's a good player i'll give him that he's a good player he's not a superstar he, he's really not a superstar and again we're not privy to what happens in the dressing room so i got to cut a little bit of slack there but you know He's had 61 points is his most ever in a season. He's a minus 29 last year. That concerns me. Like the, a captain is named to kind of be a role model and you want to model your game after that. He's a vocal leader. He's a lead by example. Just looking at his raw stats, I would be going, okay, I guess like He's a 20 goal scorer. Okay, well, let's model ourselves after 20 goal scorers. He's minus 30. Okay, well, let's not play any defense. Now, to be fair, he played on a really bad team. There's other players, and you mentioned this to me off air, Brendan Gallagher. What does he think? Brendan Gallagher has been there for quite a bit longer. He's kind of the heart and soul of that team, and he still wears an A. He's part of the leadership group, but it, it – it seemed odd. It, it really did seem odd. Maybe a guy like Josh Anderson. He's only been there for a few years, but he's still an older player in the league. Could have been there. Christian Dvorak, again, he's only been there for a couple years. A, a little bit older. It just... It screamed like Montreal just felt like they had to give the captaincy to their best player. And I kind of questioned, should they have just not... Should they have done what, like, let's say, with the Calgary Flames did? It just had a trio of assistant captains like is Nick Suzuki captain material we're gonna find out I hope he succeeds in no way am I is this a bash on Nick Suzuki no it just not seems, at all not at all it just seems awkward that well, you got a guy who's really only played two and a half seasons in the in the league be named a captain it just it you know if your name's Connor McDavid sure I can get behind that you know you play a couple seasons you get named a captain yeah I can agree with that, but th- this isn't Connor McDavid. This is Nick Suzuki. Great player, just awkward in my opinion. How does Brendan Gallagher feel? How does Josh Anderson feel? How, how does Mike Hoffman feel? Like there's a Grizzly vet. I'm not saying he's captain material, Joel, but well, Joel Edmondson wears a wears an A as well. Like if you because apparently this was Marty St. Louis who went to uh, Nick Suzuki with the offer a while back, and he thought about it and gave him the opportunity whether he wanted to take it or not, and but yeah, like to me, I would have if I was making this decision of who I was going to name captain, I would have gone to Brendan Gallagher and get, offered him the C, given him the C. I said, "You're our leader." This is a guy that leaves it all on the ice. He he's a gritty player. He has a he's been in the league since 2010, 2011. He's a plus player in his career. He has he can score points. 
but he's going to be a guy who's going to be a vocal leader and he's going to go up to a guy who's been in the league for 10 years, three years. And he's going to be a guy, I think that's going to say what needs to be said to motivate them. Now, if you got Nick Suzuki, who is a youth played his two full seasons in a truncated COVID season, um, if he comes up to you and says, Hey, you got to set your game up or not see, like, I'm going to probably tell him to get bent and pound, you know, pound sand. Cause what do you know more than I do? I like, you're like, to me, it's really make only a lot played of sense. one season of, of normal NHL standards. Yeah. Like I think 71 games is his highest games played. He was a St. or a Las Vegas draft pick. Um, it was really odd. And this is a franchise also, that puts so much pressure on their players if they don't speak French. Now, Quebec has an election going on, and every party leader that day after he's named captain is out on the trail demanding that he learns French. He must speak French. Is that really what you want to put on a 23-year-old kid now? Right now, he also had to come out a few days later, just yesterday, the day before, said, oh, I've got to be better at speaking French. You need to be better at playing hockey and, and leading your team, right? Like, I'm sorry, but when it comes to this, Quebec is very, you must speak French. They do everything they can as a, as we are a bilingual country to eliminate English being spoken in places. I, I think this is a joke. Is it? And it's a hockey team. There are players from the U.S., players from Russia, players from Sweden, players from Finland, players from wherever. They don't need to learn how to speak French. They learn how to, they learn how to, they need to communicate together. That's what it needs to come down to. And you, as a franchise with millions of dollars in your bank account, you can hire a damn translator. <laughs> I I don't disagree with that at all. That that notion of having to be bilingual and speak French is, again, it's odd. It really is. And I can understand, you know, half the fan base, you know, only speaks French, but that that doesn't that, that shouldn't eliminate people from a criteria. If you, if you're a good leader, you're a good leader, and maybe maybe Nick Suzuki is a good leader, and we're about to find out. And the fact that he doesn't speak French, like you said, that there's lots of players that don't speak French around the league that don't get the the hassle that they do in Montreal. I actually found it. We're talking about that kind of the pressure of Montreal. There was a lot of rumors floating around after Jonathan Huberto got traded to the Calgary Flames, who's going to play his one year and and go to Montreal and Jonathan Huberto after signing his extension pretty much said not a chance I was going to play in Montreal that is that is not a hockey friendly market for bilingual fans and and especially French speaking uh French Canadians that Huberto is he was like no way was I going to play there I they and he kind of said they hey they didn't trade for me which showed me they didn't want me the Calgary Flames did it, and that's a pressure cooker. And so to talk about that pressure that Nick, Nick Suzuki is going to face, you had one of the best players in the NHL going, no chance I was going to play there. Yeah, I just say it's uh, – they did it with Saku Koivu as well. They've done it with others in the past, and it's going to be tough. It's Being a captain already adds a lot of pressure to you and your game. Being a captain in Montreal and English being your – one and only language is going to make it a hundred times harder. And I, I've never seen, I get, I get it. The teams of Montreal, but it, it's like, they only want French players on that team. And you look at the coaches, 
they don't look at who the best coach is available. They look at what French coach can we hire? Is that really what's going to help your franchise come out ahead? Yeah. I don't know. At the end of the day, it's about winning Stanley Cups. And they, they've done it in the past. But many yeah. times. Yeah. Maybe we're the ones that are completely wrong here. Like, well, they've I won mean, 23 Stanley Cups. So yeah, but how many of that was in the original six days? Yeah, and, exactly. Right? Like, 93 was the last time they what they wanted or whatever. So, yeah, it, it, it's been a while. Now, moving on to another team that had a captaincy change this week. In a uh, was another shocking move. Blake Wheeler was stripped of the captaincy by Rick Bonus, who is going into his first camp as Jets head coach and uh, made a splash before they even really hit the ice. This was a shock. Uh, captains have been stripped before. I don't know necessarily this close to a season, but what are you doing? Like this is to me, this is a Rick bonus power move coming in. And uh, Trevor, I, I've my team's done this where they've stripped a captaincy off of someone, given it to someone else, and it didn't go well. And we'll talk about that in a minute. But what were your thoughts on this? Uh, the timing was very peculiar. It you know, you're literally going to training camps. Um maybe Blake Wheeler said something that he shouldn't have to uh, management, the coaching staff that spurned this, maybe not, maybe bonus knew all along he was going to do this, but the, the comments coming out of some of the players on the team, like Mark Shifley was very vocal and pretty much saying uh, Wheeler's still our captain and he's still our leader on this team. That's not good when your best players are questioning the the management's decisions. That's not oh. good. Blake Wheeler and Mark Shifley are two of the best players on that team. Now, Blake Wheeler has declined a little bit the last couple of years, but he's still been there a long time. And and Mark Shifley is probably your most offensively gifted player. He's now unhappy, obviously. I, this could be a long season in Winnipeg. There was rumblings even at the exit meetings last year of the Winnipeg Jets. There we weren't even sure Mark Shifley was going to be back with the Winnipeg Jets this year. He was already pissed off at the end of last year. And you just went and further pissed him off. Like this, to me, this kind of has the Patrick Liney vibes of it to me, where Liney was like, you know, the, the team got tired of Liney. Liney got tired of the team and they eventually traded him. I'm seeing the same thing happen here. Like, and it's Mark Shifley. That to me, this isn't as much about Blake Wheeler as it is about Mark Shifley your best player is now really not happy. And well, how is he going to go balls to the wall for you this season? I don't know if he is. There could be, this could be a long season in Winnipeg with the lineup they have. This should be a phenomenal team. There's clearly something wrong. Cause like last year they missed the playoffs with a ton of talent. Hell, I picked them to go to the Stanley cup final last year. They didn't even make the playoffs. Maybe there is something to this Blake Wheeler thing. Who knows? But the timing's off, and I think you've really, really, really upset that dressing room. And it, this close to the season, that's not a good thing. This the, Something smells here, and the, I don't know if it's from the players or the coaches, but it, it something's not right in Winnipeg. 
Well, let's say I think this year the Jets will be worse than they were last year. And it's going to come down to this. I think this, you said management, but I think this was full on Rick Bonus. And Bonus, when he went into Dallas, he didn't strip Jamie Benn of the captaincy. And that was in a time when the ownership was calling Jamie Benn and Tyler Siggins play horseshit. That's I guess cool. he like that, from his mistakes, right? Like, may I don't know, maybe, but like, there was always rumblings that Lake Wheeler may have asked for a trade at some point over the last year or so. There's also, you know, going back to June, there was some talk that the Jets were looking at teams to trade Blake Wheeler because his no movement clause kicked in, and they wanted to get you know it went in July first, and they were potentially trying to get ahead of that and move him. So. You know, you look at Paul Maurice stepped back from the team and kind of gave up on him last year and said, I'm going to step away from hockey for a bit and then got hired in Florida in the first opportunity that came up. To me, this is a, this is a, there's something wrong. I don't want to say bad move, but this is a move that this team is not going to succeed this year because this will be nothing but a talking point and a distraction. All year, all year long, and maybe Rick Bonus is a, a a genius because he's creating something to disguise a, a, a an upcoming bad season. From what he sees, who knows? And then, then they could you know move Blake Wheeler at some point when he ultimately does ask ask for a trade and wants out, and then they could have this comeback. Shifley's comments right about the whole team backing Blake Wheeler. You've now created an us versus them between your coaching staff and your team. And good luck with that because it's not going to end well. You just brought up a really good point that I that completely slipped my mind. And that is the fact Paul Maurice did quit on this team last year. There's something wrong when your, your head coach essentially quits on your team midway through the season. There's something wrong there. And now you've got the new coach coming in, stripping the captaincy. Don't forget Kevin Dayoff is still there and he was involved in the, the Chicago Blackhawks debacle. <laughs> Off the ice, there appears to be problems in Winnipeg that are severely affecting the on-ice product. And there's a lot of just unhappy people in that organization in general. Some of them have moved on. Paul Maurice, Patrick Lyde, some of them are still there. Mark Scheifele, Blake Wheeler. Fascinating, fascinating yeah. what's going to happen in Winnipeg this year. I mean, because we go through the past and let's go probably one of, the, one of the more recent ones was the Sharks taking the captaincy off of Joe Thornton and giving it to Joe Pavelski. Well, Joe Thornton is a, is a professional and he stuck around for a little bit, but he left. He's chasing cups. I'm sure he's waiting for a PTO or a $20 contract to try and win a cup with Colorado who knows but you know he didn't stick around for a long time with that either um and you know even Pavelski's in Dallas so it's odd I mean I, I talked about the Canucks they did it back in the days of Mike Keenan when Trevor Linden had been the captain and been the captain for quite some time when Keenan was in charge and brought in Mark Messier uh, Keenan, Messier was always a Keenan guy from their time in New York and things like that. And, you know, they, they played it off that Trevor Linden was a, was being a true, you know, pro and teammate and 
giving the captaincy to Mark Messier because of his legacy, his leadership. There's a, a an award named for it, you know, the, at the end of the season. I, I call bullshit on that 100%. And that was Mike Keenan stripping Trevor Linden, who was, you know, of the Vancouver. He was the captain. And he wasn't Keenan's guy. And he Keenan wanted to make a change so that his guy was in place. And I, I full on believe he stripped Trevor Linden of the captaincy. He gave it to Mark Messier, which ruffled so many feathers with the fans who loved the Vancouver Canucks, were fans of the team. Everyone hated it. it. It absolutely would have caused rifts in the team because they were all guys who had been with Trevor Linden as captain previously. And Trevor Linden was a guy that would be the first into the fire and would lead that team in so many. He wasn't a huge offensive guy, but he led that team through so many different ways. He knew how to motivate guys. He would get into the dirty areas. He did the stuff. And it caused problems because, and shortly after that, Mike Keenan traded Trevor Linden, which I don't think anyone ever saw happening, but he traded him to the New York Islanders in a package that brought Todd Bertuzzi and, and uh, Brian McCabe. But it was just such a thing that tore the city in half and how they looked at that team. And it, I don't think anyone truly looked at Mark Messi as captain of that team. And I think this is a, Thing that's going to happen in Winnipeg, like whoever, if they name a captain and Wheeler's still there, it's not going to go well. You can't have a captain go captainless for two seasons until Wheeler's gone and he's a free agent. Maybe a 38, 37, 38 at the time, but you can't do that because you can't name a captain if he's still there. I want to ask you a question, and this is going to take this conversation on a different road. The NHL is the only professional sports league where a captain really is a prominent role. You look at the NFL team captains, sure they go out and do the coin toss. Maybe they are vocal in the in the locker room. Team captains aren't nearly as on display. It's not a conversation. The NBA doesn't really have team captains. Major League Baseball doesn't really have team captains. Is the notion of a team captain overrated? And one of the reasons why I say this is I want to look at my team, the Calgary Flames. They lost their team captain last year in the expansion draft to Seattle and were better without a captain on that team last year. Is, is a team captain overrated? Is it as big of a deal as it really, really is? At the end of the day, it's a letter on their jersey and maybe they're part of the leadership group, but every team's going to have a leadership group. So is that whole notion of a captaincy overrated? I think it is, to be completely honest. None of the other leagues are vocally out there naming team captains and, oh, Tom Brady, you have to be the captain of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Oh, Tom Brady, you were the captain of the New England Patriots. That, that never was said. Nobody gave a shit. Like, well, think- uh, to me, the the notion of a captain being named a captain is kind of, I don't call it archaic, but is it really that big of a deal? I don't think it is. I, I think if it's, it's, it's different nowadays than it was before because it, it used to be the true, like you would give the captaincy and the A's to the guys on the team who were kind of that, 
the ones that could say the things that the coaching staff couldn't maybe could relate to better with the team. Now it's, it's, Oh, you're our best player. Here's a C, right? The idea of a captain, I think this goes for all sports that has them is that is the, the guys on the field or ice playing surface that can talk to the, can go to the ref and say, Hey, come like, that's the garbage. You need those kind of guys that are going to be able to have those conversations I think there is you're always going to have those leaders on the team. You can only hand out one C and two A's. So some teams have three, four different leaders on there and they're all going to be vocal. Does it still have a place uh, for the purpose of what it's meant to be that go between of the on? I like if a, if you and I aren't captains and we're skating on the ice and we're talking to the referees and maybe complaining a little bit about a call, we're getting two minutes from sportsman like whereas a captain can go and say hey you know that, that call was pretty weak like what do you, you know what happened there like explain shouldn't that be up to the coaches like let's look at the nfl and this and the canadian football league who talks to the referees well the coaches do you know in the nba yeah, I, who talks to the referee well everybody does in the nba but yeah what it's really important the coaches do so to me it's like if there's an issue w- that needs discussed with the referees in, in a national hockey league game, well, maybe, maybe that should be up to the coaches and not the players. I just, I, it, it, to me, it just seems like it's kind of a, we're going to do this because we've always done this and place importance on the team captain. I don't place nearly the importance on the team captain as other people may do it. I could honestly care less who is the captain of my team. I'm not going to go out and get a, a Mark Giordano Calgary Flames jersey because he was the captain. I'm going to go out and get a Mark Giordano Calgary Flames jersey because I like the player. Like, I don't know. I yeah. I don't see a ton of value in it anymore because every team has a leadership group, whether they wear a letter or not. And those are the players that are talking to the coaches behind the scenes. Uh, some players are just true leaders. Some aren't. And those are the players that are identified on every team to be part of the leadership group. And who gives a shit if he has a C or an A on their jersey on the ice? It's really inconsequential, in my opinion. Yeah, it's it's a tough one, I think, because other sports are different too, where the officials are set up a little bit more to be. You got so many stoppages in football and and stuff like that, where you know a coach can have a conversation with a with a ref and that too. But I think a lot of times the stoppages aren't. You know, a player can have that conversation at a faceoff with a ref if they're within earshot, right? Like as an assistant or a captain, where if you had the coaches stopping to get every single explanation, right? I think that's where, I don't know. It's not saying wrong, but it's just one of those things that they've always been there. And I think the way some teams handle it is a little, uh, a little different for the better or worse. I don't, I don't disagree with that. Ken, I want to quickly move on before we wrap up our show today. And I think we have to talk some Blue Jays. Jays in flight. The Jays look good right now. I We talked last week about them. They were coming into a tremendously difficult week where they were playing five games against the Tampa Bay Rays and three games against the Baltimore Orioles, the teams that are directly, directly in, in competition with them for uh, uh, wild card position. The Jays had a phenomenal week. And... I know you might say winning three of five against Tampa Bay isn't phenomenal. I disagree. That's a team that's wholeheartedly had the Blue Jays number over the last, well, since forever, it feels like. Yeah. Most important se- series of the season and and 
you won three or five. You gained ground on that team. You then had Baltimore come in, and the game's about to start here. It might have started already. The third game, the Blue Jays took care of business in games one and two against the Orioles and pretty much buried them in the standings. Another victory today should essentially bury the Baltimore Orioles in the standings. Huge week from the team. Huge week. Understatement. That that first win against Tampa Bay, coming back late with the, the two-run home run by Bo Bichette in the eighth. Or like, huge. That might have been the biggest at-bat of the season. It set the team or the tone for the homestand, and they've they've won five of the seven games so far. Brilliant, brilliant work by the Blue Jays this week. They look like they've got the pitching figured out, other than the bullpen days, but whatever. That's that's That won't happen in the playoffs. We're going to get to roll out our three best starters all the time. From a month ago to where we are now, the Blue Jays actually look like a legitimate contender in the playoffs they could be a tough out exciting now that being said they have a very difficult end to the season i don't know that they play they play the red Sox three more games other than that that's the only team that they play that's under 500 so they're going to be battle tested heading into the playoffs and if they continue playing good baseball for the next two weeks i really like where they stack up heading into the playoffs well, they, they, they finish up Baltimore today. They get an off day on Monday. And then they get Phil, they're in Philadelphia for two, off to Tampa Bay for four more to come home. The huge series against the Yankees. Three games. Right now, the Jays are four and a half back of the Yankees. And if they can keep eating away with wins and Yankee losses, the Jays could potentially be looking at the AL East lead because they do go into October. They got three games against Boston going into October and three against Baltimore again. Now, if you can... Baltimore could be eliminated by those three games as well. And if that's the case... I think you, Boston, Baltimore, you have to look at taking. Five I mean, ultimately, I'd like to say six of six, but you, you five or six of those. And if you can get the Yankees, if you can take, it's a three game series. If you can take those games and you can claw that lead down to a, a, a lot closer, a game, game and a half, those are going to be huge games coming up because. Looking at the schedule for the Yankees, they've got Pittsburgh, yeah, two games. They got four against the Red Sox, so it's going to get tough for the Jays. They got the three against the Jays, three against Baltimore, and four against Texas to close out the season. I kind of like the Yankees' schedule a little bit more than the it's Blue a little Jays nicer. Schedule. It's a little nicer, but the Yankees have lost to Boston. And the Yankees have lost to teams recently that they probably should have beat. Um, Milwaukee is looking at potentially sweeping that series. Um, Go Brew Crew. The Yankees had to beat or beat the Red Sox in extras, 7 6. They beat Boston 5 3. Um, They've been playing a lot of close ball games against yeah. average teams. They they haven't been the Yankees that had a massive lead 
a few months ago. They're not that Yankees team right now. And I do think even with their, you know, more favorable schedule, they are catchable. And I think the Jays need to get, need to keep that in mind and, and absolutely go for it. The Jays are seven and three in their last 10. The Yankees are six and four. You got to Like the Yankees have lost two in a row. What does a sweep against Milwaukee who, you know, is sitting second to the Cardinals in the NL Central. What would a sweep against them, the the Brewers sweeping them, do to that team? You know, does it hurt their confidence? Do they realize you know we've lost three in a row? They're a fragile the team, and they have been since kind of the middle of July. Like yeah. the Blue Jays have, have gained twelve and a half games in the standings on the Yankees in the last sixty games. Yeah, like that—that's craziness. The Yankees are they're getting a little healthier. That that's not good. They have a relatively weak schedule for the rest of the season as well. That's not good. I don't think they'll catch them. The only way they will catch them is if they sweep. They have to sweep that three game series against the Yankees coming up. What's that next week or the week after? They yeah. If they have any notion of even making an attempt at winning the division, they have to sweep that series. That's a pretty tall task especially because Aaron judge can go out and win a game by himself by hitting three home runs. Like it's a far stretch to me that the Jays do catch them. That being said, they have made up 12 games in the last 60. So what's four more, I guess. (laughs) Yeah. It's they have, they need to take this last series against Tampa into the next and go, we can beat you. They have to match everything that the Yankees do and catch a couple breaks in there and if the Yankees lose and you know that they've lost before you hit the field, you have to go out there. You have to go there and win that game regardless. But if you see the length Yankees have already played and you've lost, you have to go out there and you have to win. Yeah. No, it's very exciting. I, I got to give the Jays a ton of credit. I remember sitting here a month ago recording with you, questioning whether the Jays were even going to make the playoffs. And they have turned it around significantly since then. They're first in the wild card with – you know, a game and a half lead over Tampa, two games over Seattle. They're in the driver's seat to, to you know, get to host the wild card play, uh, wild card round. They're from where they were four to six weeks ago to now, major difference. The pitching to me is why they're there. They're getting very good starting pitching for the most part. They had, you know, the one blow against Tampa. That happens, whatever that happens. They've been getting very good starting pitching. And the back end of that bullpen, Jordan Romano, uh, Jimmy Garcia, and uh, Bass, all three of them have a sub two ERA. Jordan Romano has a sub one ERA over the last essentially six weeks. Phenomenal back end of the bullpen. If they can keep it going, starting pitching in that end of, back end of the bullpen, they're going to be dangerous. They really are. Yeah, there's a lot to look forward to for this last little bit of the season few weeks to go before we hit that magical playoff time. It's going to be fun. It'd be nice to see the the, Yank, uh, the Yankees lose and the Jays overtake that first spot. Um, tough task, but if you want to be, be the best, you got to beat the best. So, unfortunately, that's the Yankees for a lot of years. <laughs> All right, well, that's our show for this week. Covered off a lot of stuff. Let us know what you think. Hit Trevor up at, at TheBleacherCon1 on Twitter. I'm at TheBleacherCon2. We'll be back next week. Always covering off the sports. We're getting closer to uh, the NHL season, so should have a little bit more to cover off. I know on a quick note, yeah, the prospect tournament's going on in Penticton. 
in the first game. <laughs> My Canucks are already one and zero against the Flames, so you know, put a little half check mark in that box. But lost to cover up. Hockey is our favorite season, so thanks for tuning in. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, everyone.